Titus chapter 2. This is where we're going to be this morning. And we aren't going to spend a whole lot of time. Um, we have 29 minutes left before noon. And I, I, I'm going to try to get you out of here on time. Um, but there are some things that I would like to do uh, before we get started, uh, before we get into Titus chapter 2. Uh, the name of the sermon this morning is, He Gave Himself, Let Us Do the Same. And we will dive into what exactly that means in just a moment. Um, but I don't care who you are, Logan is probably excited about Christmas. I mean, Christmas is just a, a fun time of year, and then I know that some of us, that it brings up difficult memories, and for some of us, it is an easy time. To, to get lost in, in, um, in a season of, of, of just difficulty. And, and if that's you, then I want you to know that our church is here for you. We love you. We, we can't know what you're going through if you don't tell us. And so I do encourage you that if you're struggling this season to reach out to someone that you trust. Um, reach out to me or, or to Rose. Reach out to a friend, one of our deacons or deacon's wife. And, and just... Share what's going on in, in your heart if you're struggling this season. Um, for those of you who are excited about Christmas, then um, I, I hope that we can raise that level of excitement this morning, but that we can also point that excitement in the right direction. Uh, who in here, is anyone excited about Christmas? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Gianna, what are you most excited about? Too many things. Jesus being born. She gave the Sunday school answer. I don't know if I believe that. Mm. I'm going to miss you, Gianna. You can't leave. Um, who else? Who else is excited about Christmas? Why are you excited about Christmas? Food. I'm excited for food, too. And to see family. He gave, he gave a, more, a better answer, I think. But I'm, I'm with the food. John Michael. To unwrap your iPad? You think you're getting an iPad for Christmas? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, well, we all have reasons to be excited about Christmas, and I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. I think it is good to be excited. It is good to celebrate, and um, it, is, it is good to, to want gifts, to give gifts, to give gifts. It's good to want to see family. It's good to want to eat good food. It is a celebration. We should be celebrating. If, if uh, today were my birthday, and it's not, is it anybody's birthday today? Dan? What? That was a shot in the dark. I didn't even know. Happy birthday, Dan. Well, today it's Dan's birthday, and so I hope that Dan gets to celebrate his birthday by doing something other than feeding his pigs. I hope he gets a good meal <laughs> you get to go out to eat somewhere good tonight or something, I don't know. Um, but when, when there's a time for celebration, we celebrate. And there is a time for celebration coming up, and that is the birth of Jesus. And how many of you started anticipating Christmas before Thanksgiving? Anybody in here? Okay, how many of you started anticipating Christmas before fall, 
I know Randy did because she puts stuff on Facebook all the time about like it's July and she's counting down the days to Christmas. But uh, <laughs> all right, how many of you, as soon as you uh, get home from your Christmas festivities, are already ready for Christmas the next year? Anybody? All right, a few of you, a few of you. Okay. Well, imagine if instead of having to wait 364 days or however long you have to wait, imagine that your wait had no timetable for an end. You didn't know. What if you knew Christmas was coming, but it wasn't on December 25th? And you thought, maybe it's 2019, and we get to next year, and no Christmas. Maybe in 2020. Wow, I just had a moment where I felt really old. 2020, is this like science fiction? Anyway, maybe, maybe it's coming in 2020. And it gets here. No Christmas. Year after year after year after year. You wait for the birth of the Savior, and it doesn't happen. So can you imagine the celebration when Jesus was finally born? When in the Old Testament, it was foretold that in the lineage of Abraham, in the lineage of David, there would be born a Savior. There would be born this conquering king and this suffering servant, one and the same. There was going to be born a person who would rescue man from everything, from evil, from conquerors. They would become the conquerors. And of course, they didn't know exactly what they were looking for, but this is what occurred when Jesus was born. It didn't happen exactly the way they thought, they thought it would because a lot of the people uh, only focused on the Old Testament verses that talked about the conquering king, and they missed out on the suffering servant parts. I mean, just in Isaiah, you can see song after song or in Isaiah, the servant's song and the suffering servant where it's foretold that Jesus would have to suffer. And it didn't use the name Jesus, but there was a servant that people would not even want to look on his face. He would be despised and rejected by men. It would be, but even with that negative stuff, it says, by his wounds, we would be healed. And they were ignoring those verses. And then here comes Jesus. And Jesus is born in the most unlikely way to the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place. And yet, if you go back in the Old Testament, it was all foretold where he would be. Not when, but where and by what tribe and by what lineage, that kind of thing. And so, the baby is finally born. And if you think we're excited, anticipating Christmas... Imagine those who knew that the Messiah was going to be born. Imagine Mary and her family. Imagine the wise men that journeyed for so far 
because they, they saw this sign that the, that the um, Savior, the Messiah, had been born. And so as we look at this this week, I want this to prepare our hearts for the coming month, that we would anticipate Christmas, but for the right reasons and for the good reasons. We could celebrate it for a lot of reasons, but let's make sure that the primary one is that we can celebrate that Jesus has been born. And a lot of times, as we look back on the fact that Jesus was born, sometimes we forget to focus on the fact that he will return, according to Scripture, that he will be making a reappearance, that he will reappear, and this time um, we will get to dwell with him. He's not just coming for a temporary time to live a life on earth as a man and to die for our sins and, and to be resurrected and then ascend. He's not coming back for that purpose. He's already done that. When he returns, he's, he's returning to put everything that's been wrong to make it right. All the sin that has taken place in the world and the effects and the consequences of that sin, Jesus is going to come back one day and he's going to fix all that. He's already promised us that. He's already told us that. We see it just as in the Old Testament. They could look forward and see that these things are going to happen because it was written and said so, and then they happen. In the New Testament, we're also told some things, and in the Old Testament too, we're told some things about the end of time and what it's going to look like. And so we can be excited. We can celebrate the fact that one day Jesus will return. With all that said, that's my introduction not just to this sermon it was a long introduction, uh, but it's an introduction to the next several weeks of sermons. We are going to be looking at the fact that one day a Savior was promised, and he fulfilled that promise. He came, and we've been told he will come again, and one day he will fulfill that promise. And so, if you will, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and let's look at what this says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Titus, and he's doing so. This is, for those of you who aren't familiar with this or the Bible, he's writing this after Jesus' life on earth. He's writing this after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And some time has passed, and some churches have been started that um, put their faith in Jesus and are following Jesus. And Titus is is a leader. He's a Christian leader. And Paul is writing this letter to him to encourage him, to challenge him. He's talking about all kinds of things. Earlier earlier in this chapter, he was telling him uh, what leaders should look like, what the elders of the church should look like, and and how they should minister to one another. And then we get to um, verse 11, and he says this, this, he kind of, switches gears a little bit and says, for the grace of God has appeared. Now, this is past tense. It's already happened. For the grace of God has appeared. And it's interesting that grace, which is really a concept, right? It's really, if you think about grace, it's, it's not something that you can touch. So why is he saying for the grace of God has appeared? in such a way that makes you think of something physically appearing. And the reason is, is because when he says grace here, he is refer, referring to the embodiment of grace, the manifestation of grace, which is whom? 
Jesus. For Jesus has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. And remember, grace is when we're given something that we don't deserve, okay? For example, because I've been a bad boy this year, I don't deserve any presents, but by grace, Rose is going to give me a Christmas present. I don't deserve it. Oh, oh, maybe, maybe I'm speaking too soon. Uh, anyway, I don't deserve it, but it's given to me anyway. That's grace. The grace of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. We did not deserve for Jesus to appear, and yet he did. Carol, can you go back to the title slide for me? He gave himself. This is the gift, the ultimate gift that we have been given for Christmas. He gave himself. He gives us an opportunity for salvation. He gives us an opportunity for a relationship with him. He gives us an opportunity for life and life abundantly. He gives us an opportunity to to know him, to know God intimately. We get to have a relationship with him. He gets to transform our lives. He gets to, or we get for him to completely take over for us in a way where he makes our life into something so good, into something that we never imagined it could be, he can do that. I'm not saying he has done that for all of us, but he can do that. And the Bible gives us instructions on how we can make that happen, how we can have faith in him. And by grace, through faith, he can save us, and we can have this life that I'm talking about. And if we have that kind of life, and if we truly love him and want to follow his example, then there are ways we can follow his example. We can be baptized, as Jesus himself was baptized. We can follow in obedience in that way. But we can also live lives of sacrifice, just as he did. You see, if we believe the Bible, as we've talked about before, then we believe that Jesus existed in heaven, as God, before he was born as a man, as a human. And so when we go back to Genesis, and we see in chapter 1, verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image, we believe that this is talking about us being the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we're not made in the image of angels, we're made in the image of God. And so... Jesus already existed. Colossians tells us that not only did did he exist, but creation occurred through him, that the Father spoke and Jesus obeyed. Jesus did it. and, And not only that, but he still upholds creation by the word of his mouth. And so Jesus, as God, existed in heaven before he became a man. God in the form of the Son, left heaven to be born on earth. And that's something to celebrate. Because he didn't have to do that, right? We all can't wait for heaven. I mean, we're ready for Christmas, but we're really ready for heaven. We can't wait for a day where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, where every day will be better than the best Christmas we've ever had here on earth. 
We long for that day. And that would not have happened if Jesus would not have left heaven to become a man, to, to, to grow into an adult, to be crucified on a cross, not for anything he had done wrong, although the Romans and the Jewish leaders were wanting to kill him for something they considered wrong, that he claimed to be God. But he was crucified as an innocent man for our sins, for the things that we have done wrong, that we have done against God, not for anything that he has done. And so this Christmas, let's remember why we're celebrating. It's because he gave himself that, yes, he became a baby, but that baby was born with a purpose, a purpose that existed before the creation of the world. He gave himself. And if we're his followers, if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to have a relationship with God, then let us do the same. And so going back to verse 11, verse 11, for grace, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Jesus appeared in the flesh. Grace appeared. He lived a life. If you want to know what a, a good man looks like, of course, he's more than man, but if you want to know what a good man looks like, read about Jesus. Read about what he did for so many people. There are, th- there are verses that I'm sure all come to all of our minds when we think about this, but I'm reminded of when John the Baptist, his cousin, has been killed, and he, um, he's obviously sad, and he goes off to be by himself, and as he's by, going to be by himself, the crowds are following him. And so he comes back to where they are, and it says that he had compassion on the crowds. If something like that had happened to me, and you guys, I love you, but if you were following me, wanting stuff from me in that moment, I I don't know that I would have had compassion. I might have felt compelled by duty or something like that, but I don't know about compassion. But that's because Jesus is better than me. Jesus was the perfect man. And if we want to be like him, I think that that's an honorable desire. And in being like him we have to realize that he gave himself, he sacrificed everything, and we should do the same for the love of others, for the sake of others. There's no room for selfishness in the gospel, in following Jesus and being obedient to him, I should say. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Who is able to be saved if they place their faith and trust in Jesus? All people. Anyone. Now, we have to understand a biblical understanding of of what that means to place our trust and faith in Jesus. It's not just believing that he exists or that he's God, because even the demons believe and shudder, according to James. It is putting our faith in him to where we love him, we trust him, where we become his. And in that process, when he, as he saves us, as in justifies us, we're made right with God, we're always going to be good in that moment. There's also a process, a process of him making us into his image of sanctification. And then one day we will be like him when he returns and we're given new bodies and all that, as we talked about earlier then our salvation will be complete. But right now, 
we're works in progress, aren't we? Our salvation has been sealed if we have a relationship with him, but he's working us into his image. He's shaping us and molding us into his image. And so a biblical definition of faith would be that you believe in him with your head, but you have trusted him with your heart. You have given him your life. He has become your Lord, and you are striving to be obedient to him. This morning I have to ask, is that the kind of faith that you have? Do you have a biblical faith? Because I'm pretty sure most of you in here, if you are here this morning, a majority of you definitely believe that Jesus Christ is real. A majority of you. But believing that he is real is not the same as believing in him as Savior and trusting him and having faith in him. And so my question to you this morning is, do you have faith? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You can be saved this morning. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So salvation has occurred, salvation will occur, salvation has occurred in the sense that if we place our faith in him, then we are saved and that is sealed and when the time comes for uh, us to pass to the next life or Jesus Jesus returns, whatever happens, we will have a relationship with him, it's been sealed. But ultimately, we we will experience the ultimate salvation from sin and the effects of sin and hurt and pain and suffering and all of that at a later point. And, and so what do we do in the meantime? In between our salvation and the expected return of Jesus Christ, what do we do? And I believe that the answer is given here in verse 12, verses 12 and 13. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So anything that's not of God, we're renouncing it. And remember... Worldly passions, this is not saying anything that is, uh, you, you could be passionate about. Some things, some of our passions are healthy, good things that we should have, that are God-given, okay? It is good to enjoy eating, right? Amen? All right. It's a natural thing that we need to do. And so it's, it's okay to have that passion, as long as that passion is in its right order, Right? We, we need to make sure that we are doing things God's way. And when we're doing things God's way, then our passions are ordered correctly. When we're not doing things God's way, then we're not honoring him with our lives. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. When people look at you, do they see a person who is self-controlled, upright, and godly? Is that how people would describe you? Self-controlled, upright, and godly? And it's just giving some words that basically reflect back on who Jesus is. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be like, remember that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And if we're saved, then it's training us, Jesus was training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, saying he will return. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I was asking you earlier if those things described you. Does this describe you? Are you zealous for good works? Are you looking for opportunities this Christmas season to help people? Are you looking for opportunities this Christmas season to do good works? My challenge, my encouragement to you now is this. For the next several weeks, and then let's just stretch that on for the rest of your life, but for the next several weeks, let us focus on how can we be zealous for good works? How can we be like Jesus? And remember, he gave himself. How much did he give? How much did he sacrifice? How how far was he willing to go for the good of others? For the glory of God? He gave himself. So as your pastor, and for those of you who are visiting, just as an exhortation and encouragement for you, my challenge is this Christmas Give the best gift that you can give. Give yourself. And if you really do love Jesus and you give yourself, people are going to see his love in you. People are going to know of his love because they have, they're going to have experienced it firsthand in the way that you treat them. Verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You see, when when God saves us, he saves us for our good, right? It's it's for our good that he saves us because we won't spend our future in hell. We'll spend it with him. That's for our good. He transforms us into people who are better human beings on this side of eternity, who we, if we live for him in the right way. We're giving up the selfishness and those things, and we're living for him. And so as he saves us, and as he saves us from things, we also need to remember that he's saving us for things. I'm going to read this one more time. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So he saves us from ourselves. He saves us from sin, and for something, listen, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you are a Christian in here, if someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, someone who's become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, if you are in here and you say that describes yourself, and you are not zealous for good works, then something's missing. Something's off in your fellowship with God. You might be saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. But there's more to life than just surviving. There is more to life than just accumulating things. There's more to life than creating a better future for your children or grandchildren. There's more to life than that. 
We are to be zealous for God. We are to be zealous for good works. We are to be zealous for our fellow man. We are to live our lives in service of those around us. We are to love people. And if this sounds like uh, a hippie, that's okay. It's biblical. I can sound like a hippie. But are we doing that? Are we loving people like Jesus loved them? Because remember that, yes, you are saved from hell, and that is great. But what we have is more than fire insurance. We have been saved from hell, but we have been saved for him, for his purpose. And he has purified for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's what he tells Titus. And if you are a Christian leader, that is what he is telling you. We can take what Paul wrote and meant for Titus and apply it directly to our lives. Let us be zealous for God during this Christmas season. Let us look for opportunities to share his love. Let us look for opportunities to give ourselves to the people around us. To our families, yes. First and foremost, you are responsible for your family first because other people have other family members for the most part. Your family has you. So yes, be responsible to your family. But it goes beyond that, right? The Bible tells us that, look, even wicked, the wicked man does, what, does good to those who love him. I mean, we should, that's common. We should go further. We should love those who don't love us. We should love those who don't even know us. When we have an opportunity to show love to a stranger, we should do it. When we have an opportunity to show love to our neighbor, we should do it. I want every single one of us between now and Christmas to look for an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone that doesn't know us. That's a bold statement, but I think we can do it. I think all of us can look for an opportunity to share his love with one person. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Let's be zealous for good works. We're going to have an invitation. And during this invitation, we're going to have some music playing. We're going to sing. And I'll be standing right up here. And you will have an opportunity, if you desire, to come talk to me. If you have never become a follower of Jesus and you want to follow him this morning, you want to have faith, like what we, biblical faith, like what we talked about this morning, then come and talk to me and, and God can save you this morning. You can have that relationship with him. Or maybe you are saved. Maybe you do have faith. But your faith has not led you to be zealous for good works. And you feel like something is missing between you and the fellowship that, in your fellowship with God. If that's true of you this morning, then come tell me or come to the altar and pray. Or maybe you need to know, Lord, I want to be zealous for you, but how do I show love the way you did? You gave yourself. How do I give myself to you, your kingdom, your purpose, and to the people around me? Whatever God is convicting you of this morning, I pray that you would respond to him, that you would not wait, that you would not linger in thinking that maybe, maybe I'll do this later. I hope that if there is a conviction in your heart that today you will respond to him. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that this morning as we sing this song to you, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would convict us, and that you would help us to, to know the truth of who you are and what you desire from us. 
Lord, I thank you for giving yourself to us. I thank you for saving us, Lord, from lawlessness, from ourselves, from sin, but I also thank you for saving us for a purpose, that you don't just save us and then we just kind of hang out here until the end of time. Lord, that you save us and then you give us a purpose to live for you. And I pray that all of us this morning, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us the ability to live wholeheartedly for you. Lord, help us to turn our back on sin and to turn toward you in obedience to you. Help us to live for you in a way that shows other people your love. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.